You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Hey guys, hope you're having a fantastic week. We are in part two of our series, Ruth. What we're doing is we're taking four weeks to look through each chapter in the book of Ruth. It's a book found in the Old Testament. It only has four chapters, but there's some incredible lessons that we can learn from it. It's not overly spiritual, but even in the practical human interactions, we see these amazing parallels um, that, that just bring about these lessons that I think many of us need to be reminded of or maybe learn for the very first time. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter two this week, and we're going to start right at the top. Ruth Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, quickly, we just need to set the stage for the interactions of this chapter. Boaz is going to be a main character. He's one of the three main characters in the story. He's a relative of Naomi, and he's from the tribe of Judah. He's going to be an incredibly grace-filled man, and it sounds a little bit like Jesus. Jesus was from the clan of of Judah. Jesus was incredibly grace-filled. The way that Boaz treats Ruth has some beautiful, beautiful parallels to how Jesus treats us. Now, I am not saying that Boaz was actually Jesus, but I am saying that he is a great representation, that he was good at being the hands and feet of Jesus before Jesus was even around. Ruth chapter 2 verses 2 through 3 goes on to say this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. They're hammering this home. He's from the clan of Elimelech, which means he's from the tribe of Judah. This is really important. The author really wants us to understand that. The first point is this, is the providence of God. There were commands laid out in Leviticus that played a crucial role in the story. In in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. It's weird that Ruth was a poor widow and a foreigner. Maybe God was doing something here. For us, I believe that the first couple verses give us two really good reminders. The first one being this is that God provides in the short term. On a practical level, Ruth and Naomi needed to eat, and God, through a previous command, is making it possible for them to do just that. But for you and I, it's important that we understand that God cares deeply. God cares deeply about our current circumstances. I I would encourage all of us to pay close attention to the simplicity of of his provision for us every single day. I think too often it's really easy for us to get caught up in the big picture and the grand schemes, and, and we look about what's going to be, but... I think that Jesus wants us to sometimes just camp in the present and watch how he provides for us every single day, relationally, physically, spiritually. God is a God of provision, and he provides in the short term. He will provide in the long term as well, but he absolutely provides in the short term. The second reminder is this, is that God orchestrates. Too often we look at life as a series of coincidences when really we should look at life as this beautiful mosaic of God carving a path in tandem with our decisions. I think it would be really amazing if we could zoom out from our lives and see our starting points and our finish lines and in between those two things, God's intended path, but the actual path that it took to get there. I know that in my own life, I have made so many decisions that have delayed God's blessings. I've made so many decisions that have made my path winding instead of a straight shot to what God had for me. 
But what we need to remember is that God works in tandem with our decisions and he works things out. It's that Romans 8.28 promise. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. That we would be people who understand that Romans 8.28 truth. Our lives need to be lived with intentionality because God is going to use them intentionally. Ruth could have chosen hundreds, if not thousands, of different fields in this region. And yet she happens to choose the field of Boaz. That's not coincidence. That's divine orchestration. That God is working things out. Ruth 2 verses 4 through 7 goes on to say this. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvest, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. What's really interesting about this seemingly inconsequential passage is the way that Ruth approaches Boaz's harvesters. She would have known. She spent 10 years with this Jewish family. She was married to a man for 10 years. She she lived with Naomi and her husband for 10 years. She would have known Jewish customs. Even if she didn't grow up in them, she would have known them after 10 years of living with them. She would have known that it was her right to glean behind the harvesters. And yet, she comes and asks anyway. I think it's a gentle reminder that we should always approach the throne of God with humility and in request, never in expectation of what we deserve. That we would have a Ruth mentality and we would say, Lord, like I know that you promised to work things out for my good, but I still want to come to you and not say, well, go work things out for my good right now, but be like, Lord, would you be willing? Would you be willing? What I deserve is eternal separation from you but what you've given me is eternal life and connection to you and i just want to pray that you continue to give me that lord i pray that you provide even though you promised that you would provide i just want to pray for it i want to come in humility and understand that you don't have to give that to me but you give it to me freely any anyway the story goes on to say this in verses 8 through 10 it says so boaz said to ruth my daughter listen to me don't go and glean in another field and, and don't go away from here stay here with the women who work for me Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I think the parallels are too clear to ignore. There could have been many different outcomes to this interaction, but it's just grace from Boaz. It's just grace upon grace upon grace. And as I think about Ruth coming before Boaz and saying, well, who am I that you would care about me, a foreigner? I think about myself coming before Jesus and saying, who am I that you would care about me, a sinner, a broken, messy, imperfect person? Why do you care about me? Why do you love me? Why do you use me? And I think many of us feel that way, that we would say, why, why would God care about my circumstances? Why does God want to be a God of provision? Well, because he loves you and he loves me and he's for us. And here's the point is that when we approach God, God responds. When we approach God, God responds. 
It can be so easy for us to look at our lives and think about all the ways that we are imperfect. But what we fail to remember is that God has never asked us to be perfect. He has asked us to be surrendered. He's asked us to be people who aren't perfect and have it all put together all the time, but people who are just surrendered to him and his will, that would be willing to submit to what he wants for our lives, not just dig in and try to do what we want for our lives. We live our lives with these invisible lists of right and wrong, and and we look at, at how we're supposed to be perfect, but that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. We look at those invisible lists, and we hope that one side outnumbers the other, and the when Jesus is really just asking us to approach him with humility, knowing that we need his help, that if we want to flourish, it's not about leveraging or, or, or outbalancing the sheet, but it's about just surrendering and coming before the throne in humility and saying, Jesus, what I understand is that I would be a wreck without you. I'm a wreck even with you. I'm still broken. My humanity wins way too often, but I can't do life without you, and I need you to help me flourish. I need you to help me find health. So a question that I would ask this week is, Are we more focused on our imperfection or his perfection? It's an important question to answer because it'll affect the way that we live our lives on every single level because what we focus on will directly impact our effectiveness. If all we can focus on are the ways that we come up short, we don't leave ourselves any time to actually love people around us. If all we think about is what we've done with our hands and what we've done with our feet and what we've done with our mind and what we've done with, with our words, we can't focus on what Jesus has done with his hands and his feet and his words and how he has called us to be a representation to be his hands and feet to the world around us. If we can focus on who he is, we can understand that our shortcomings aren't fatal. And understand this is that he has worked with worked with and loved imperfect people from the beginning of creation. If you look at Moses, Abraham, Noah, David, Solomon, man, none of them were perfect. None of them were perfect. And yet they're heroes of the faith. God uses messy, broken, imperfect people every single day. Why do we think that he can't love us? Why do we think that he can't use us? I'm going to kind of spark notes the next nine verses. Boaz doesn't just allow her to gather. He says, Ruth, I don't want you to just gather behind the women and the men that work for me. I actually want you to come to dinner with me. And then she comes to dinner and he's like, it's not just about eating dinner. I want you to have my dinner. I want you to sit with me as as the, the head of this house. I want you to eat with me and I want you to eat my dinner. Like inconsequential things. He's like, dip your bread in the white vinegar that's for me. And then he says, don't don't just let her gather behind you. In fact, would you pull out stalks of grain for her? Pull out the stalks. It says that Ruth ate to her fill, and then she leaves with more than she could carry back home. She she has a full, full arms carrying back home. You can probably guess where I'm going with this because the representation of Jesus is just too clear. The next point is this, is more than we deserve, more than we can imagine. More than we deserve, more than we could imagine. The story of Ruth is amazing on so many levels, but one thing that always sticks out to me is how her faithfulness led to the provision that she could have never thought possible. She was just faithful to her mother-in-law. She was faithful to keep following, and it led to provision beyond her wildest imagination. 
I hope that we don't forget that truth. I hope that we could be defined as people that are truly believing that God is going to show up in our lives in miraculous ways if we're simply committed to being faithful to Him, that our faithfulness will consistently lead to our provision. So Ruth shows up. She has this entire load of grain and Naomi asks her where asks her where she went. What field did she end up in? Ruth tells her this story, and then we find Naomi's response in Ruth chapter two, verses twenty through twenty-three. Naomi says, "The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead." She added, "That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers." We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said. He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. What I want to do is I want to focus on just the word redeemer. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll get into that idea of family redeemer that Boaz gets to be in this story. But I just want to focus on that idea, the word redeemer to close. Redeem is defined as to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Redeemer is defined as someone who redeems or simply the word Christ. I don't even really want to look at the parallels here. I think this is an amazing story. Even the statement that Naomi makes, like in somebody else's field, you would be harmed, but it is his field, you're safe. And man, if we live in the world's fields, there's going to be harm. But if we live in the fields that Jesus has set out for us, we're going to find safety and freedom and flourishing. I can't be certain where each one of you are as you're listening to this, but I just felt like there were two statements that we needed to hear. Maybe one, maybe both. The first one being this, you are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. Some of us believe that we've sinned too much. We walked away too far. But a truth that I think we have to come back to is that God is our redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer paid the price. And that price was not small. That price was bigger than we could have ever imagined. And it's big enough that we should believe that we are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. And secondly, you're still worth it. There are many of us who have been following Jesus for a really long time, and we question whether or not we've disappointed God to the point where he doesn't think that his sacrifice was worth it anymore, or that collectively as a humanity, God looks down and goes, look what I did, and I just, why did I even bother? Why did I even do that? You're still worth it. You're still worth it. So wherever you're at, I'd take, I'd pray that you would take a couple minutes and maybe you just sit in silence and solitude before your creator and you would hear him say to you, you are not too far gone, my daughter. You are not too far gone, my son, my child. You're still worth it. 
Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.